The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegan, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin who publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling. Chen uh, will be with us in just a couple of minutes uh, to give us a couple of his favorite picks. I think he's going to talk about silver today, so you want to hang around and listen to what Chen has to say. Uh, We do have a special introductory offer to all three of our newsletters. You can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426, at 718-457-1426, uh, to learn more or to sign up for these special introductory offers, you can go to our website as well and do it that way. Uh, and you can also learn more about our pl- publications. Chen, in particular, has had a phenomenal track record. And as I've mentioned before on this show, he took $5,400 in January of 2003 to over $1.1 million at the end of April of this year. He gave some of that back uh, in uh, in May, I guess. But in June, he's having another good month. So I expect Chen could very well be up against uh, up to that uh, $1.1 million figure pretty soon in the near future. But in any event, he's had a phenomenal track record. That's why we like to have him on this show. He has a lot of great ideas. He's made people a lot of money, and uh, that's a good part of what this show is about, to try to help you to find ways to make money. I would also like to direct your attention to jayswatchlist.com. 
That's JAYSwatchlist.com, where there are a number of companies that I'm taking a look at. They're on my radar screen, companies for possible inclusion in my newsletter, and companies that we will be talking to from time to time on this show. Uh, we'll be talking to the CEOs of those companies as well. In fact, today we'll have Midlands Minerals uh, on with us, and they are a member of Jay's Watchlist. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Thanks to each of you uh, for listening, because you have made this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, and so a big thanks to all of you. We also want to thank our corporate sponsors who make this show financially possible. For the first hour today, our sponsors are Barkerville Gold, American Bonanza, Merrick's Gold, Palangel Explorations, Tara Minerals, PMI Resources, Crocodile Gold, and Bayfield Ventures Corp. Now, getting back to Jay's watch list, as I mentioned, we will be having Kim Harris, the president of Midlands Minerals, on with us uh, a little later in the show, actually in the last hour of the show. Uh, the, uh, the gold shares have been a phenomenal success. We've done extremely well with gold shares, and the reason we've done so well with them is because gold is in a bull market of a lifetime. Uh, it, is, it is doing extremely well because the real price of gold is rising very dramatically. And uh, that is why gold is at the center of my portfolio. I should mention that our main guest this week will be Martin Gross. Martin is the author of a book titled National Suicide. We had Mr. Gross on the show a few weeks ago. Nobody knows more about the financial waste and abuse of our federal government than Mr. Gross, so we're going to look forward to hearing uh, what he has to say about uh, about the problems our nation is facing and, and also to find out some of his solutions because it's all fine and dandy to uh, gripe about problems, but you know, fixing them is really what it's about. Uh, does he think the Republican Party can make things better than the Democrats when, in fact, both parties have been, have been major contributors to this problem over the years? Um, you know, so we'll, we'll get his idea about a gold standard. Would a gold standard help hold these, uh, these characters in check and keep the abuses from taking place to the extent they have? Well, Mr. Gross will be with us at about 4 o'clock uh, this afternoon. But before we get to him, we're going to have Wade Dow. He's the president and CEO of Linear Gold. Wade is scheduled to uh, become the president of Brigus Gold. Um, that is the name of the new company that will be formed when Apollo and Linear Gold uh, join up together and are uh, merged together. And that's supposed to happen, I believe. Leave at the end of this week, uh, it will be uh, formalized. Uh, in my view, this is a very exciting company with great growth potential. Again, uh, a gold mining company that I think may well be worth owning some shares of in this fantastic market, bull market. We're also going to be talking to Robert Justra uh, after Mr. Dow, um, because Mr. Justra is the president of a silver and gold company named Columbus Silver. Um, so again, I want to emphasize, I don't think it can be emphasized enough, that, uh, that we're in a bull market of a lifetime for gold. And the reason is because the real price of gold is rising very dramatically. And in particular, I think the real big money is going to be made in the junior mining sector. Why do I say that? Well, the juniors, when they find a deposit, rise very, very dramatically, very dramatically. Let's just give you an example. Let's say Newmont Mining finds a million ounces of gold. Well, with their huge market cap, a million ounces of gold might add 3% to their, to their valuation. Whereas a tiny little company that has a $10 million market cap or even a $100 million market cap, if they find a million ounces of gold, it could make their company worth 10 times as much as it's worth now. And the junior mining companies are the companies that have the flexibility 
uh, and the uh, the intellectual flexibility to go out and do daring things, to put high-risk capital in the ground. The major mining companies are very concerned about next quarter's profits, and their mandate, the mandate of their CEOs, is quite different from the mandate of the junior mining companies. So my strategy has been to own a portfolio of junior mining companies, any one of which could be fairly risky, but could and will over time uh, one or several of them will offer will provide great wealth potential uh, when they make these discoveries. So uh, gold mining shares uh, are really the main emphasis of my newsletter. It's uh, primarily the focus of this show to a great extent. The companies that come on are largely gold mining companies, but not exclusively gold mining companies. In fact, I also am very bullish on silver. And uh, silver mining companies as well, because silver is probably the second best form of money that has ever been used by man. I believe that it was created, uh, gold and silver were created for the purpose of being monetary metals. Silver has more of, a, of an industrial component to it, so it doesn't react as much to the kind of stresses that we see in the financial system as gold does. And in fact, a very interesting concept by Bob Hoy points out that if we have, um, if, if gold rises, uh, the rate of gold to silver rises above, I think it's about 71 or so, it's probably an indication that there's some really big financial market problems coming down the pike. So we're going to keep our eye on the gold to silver ratio. But that said, silver also has the attributes of money and is an excellent money, and it's doing very, very well as, as well. So joining me right now is Chen Lin. Chen uh, is focusing on a couple of silver stocks that I think are very exciting stocks. Chen, are you with me? Yes. Hi, Jay. Hey, Chen, glad to have you here. Um, I know that you have a couple of silver stocks that you are particularly uh, excited about. Would you? I think the first one is Alexco. Could you tell our listeners about Alexco? Yes, uh, Alexco is about to get into production in a month or so. Uh, they basically starting a very high-grade underground mine and then expand from there. So next year, their, uh, their uh, production plan is 3 million ounces of silver at almost zero cost uh, after the byproduct credit of base metal. And then going on to 2012, the year after next will be 5 million, and then 7 million after that, 2013. So you can see, it, it, it's by that time, it will be a major, major silver producer. And the, the shares are tightly held, and it only have uh, 53 million share outstanding, make it you know, 150 million market cap. So from market cap to the silver production, this is a very undervalued silver stock. Now, Chen, they also produce some base metals. Is that right? And those base metals, when you credit them towards the cost of production, it means that they can produce silver potentially at, at a very low cost. Is that what you said, or did, did exactly. you cover that point? They, they have a byproduct, uh, a lead and zinc. Uh, they, uh, you know, th those are credit. If you credit that to production, the silver cost is uh, very close to zero. And uh, what kind of exploration potential do they have? They own the district, which produced a 200 million ounce of silver historically. So uh, before, they, they haven't done a lot of exploration because you know, they're more focused on getting into production and get the cash flow out. Now they have uh, getting into production, they're going to explore the whole district. I wouldn't be surprised if they find a few, you know, a few hundred million ounces of silver, high-grade silver from there. That's very interesting. And there's, uh, is the stock selling at about three and a quarter, you say, something like that? Yeah, exactly. Three and a quarter, market cap about $175 million. You started buying the stock at what price, Chen, for your subscribers and for your own account? Yeah, let me, let me see. I, I think at, at a dollar something, that was my initial recommendation. Let me 
the and then I bought. I think it's I bought at a, like a dollar fifty, if I remember correctly. I have to check. And I I, I recommend I have a big jump, and I sold it at like a two dollar twenty, and then bought back at about the same price. And now it's three dollar and three and a quarter. So it has been a pretty good, you know, pretty good stock for me. And it's volatile and up and down. It's getting very very close to production. Mm-hmm. So so and then they all all they need they just uh, get a mill running, get a water permit. And and that's it. But the company has some uh, has some selling lately because another company failed to get water permit. Ah, Yukon. But so the market's they, concerned that they won't get their permits. Exactly. But they are Alaska is different because part of them they're running environmental service, so they know the government know how to get a permit very very well. So I talked to the company. The company don't really don't think there it is a concern. They just had a hearing of that, you know. Uh, Last week, I believe, and then everything go on pretty smoothly. In a couple of weeks, they're going to get the permit, and then get 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 the mine into production. Are there projects uh, in a pretty remote location, Chen, uh, so that there's not population concerns? That would be one question. The second one, I uh, would like to ask you, uh, what about infrastructure? Right, they're in pretty recent, pretty remote, but they has been mining there for a long time, so they can access to some decent. Uh, you know, decent infrastructure. Infrastructure. Okay, then the second uh, top pick of yours in the silver sector is gold and minerals. Could you, we got maybe two minutes or so to talk about gold and minerals. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that company? Right, gold and mineral is a company that not many, many people know. They have a fantastic trading result. They're talking about 5,000 grand uh, per ton silver. That's one of the highest grade silver in the world. And then over meters, three meter, five meter, and then they have a couple of those. It's not just one drill hole. And then they they're on, on the edge of finding a whole mining district. They have a forty million cash in cash. The market cap is about seventy million something. So it you can see it, it's just an incredible uh, company. And then they also own the property between Gold Corp, Panesquito uh, Mine, and then Complex. You know the mine the company just been taken over for three hundred million. So so you can see their potential is uh, very big, so and then very well cashed, and they have a lot of trading results coming up. And only 9.3 million shares outstanding, you say, right? Exactly. So making the market cap of about 70 million. 9.3 million shares outstanding, 75 million dollar market cap with huge exploration potential. Chen, where did you buy this stock? When did you begin buying gold and minerals? About At what price? Dollar. About four dollars. So right now it's about double. Uh, you know, it has been a roller coaster ride, but yeah. you know, I think it's still going a lot higher from here. Okay, so you're still a holder and an aggressive buyer. At what price would you be a buyer of this stock? Oh, I bought some recently. You know, if I have, you know, when I have spare cash, you know, extra cash, I buy some. Uh, you know, mostly it's in hold mode, and I think they're going to have some uh, fantastic trading results coming out, and looking forward to that. Oh, fantastic. Well, those are two good ideas, folks, and uh, Chen Lin has the track record to uh, to back up, uh, to make him, I think you have to take uh, what Chen Lin says uh, seriously, not with a grain of salt, but you've got to think what he has to say and then do your own investigation. Uh, run things by your own uh, your, your own financial planner. That's never a bad idea to, to consult with financial uh, experts. Uh, you know, we provide ideas on this show. We're not uh, recommending stocks, that's for sure, but we're telling you what we think, and the companies and CEOs in this program will do the same. And speaking of companies and CEOs, coming up next, we're going to have Wade Dow. Um, Wade Dow is, as I said, uh, the, will soon become the president of Brigus 
uh, Brigus Gold Corp. Uh, Brigus Gold Corp. will be the survivor of the merger between Linear Gold Corp. and Apollo Gold. And we think this is a very exciting story. So we hope you'll hang around and listen to what Wade Dow has to say about the future of Brigus Gold. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and I'll be sliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me Wade Dow. He is the president and CEO of Linear Gold Corp., Linear Gold Corp. is traded on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol LRR. It trades in the pink sheets under LGCFF. There's approximately 44.2 million shares outstanding. Recent price range in $1.55 to $1.60, I believe. Uh, Mr. Dow has been uh, a very successful entrepreneur in in the Canadian mining and venture capital industries since 1994. Soon he will become the president and CEO of Brigus Gold Corp., 
the name of, of the soon-to-be-merged company that will combine Linear Gold with Apollo Gold, which is a sponsor of this show. Welcome, Wade, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hi, Jay. How are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm terrific. And um, am I talking to you from Toronto today or from Colorado or where? I'm based in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, the head office for Linear Gold. I guess I missed it on on all counts, didn't I? Well, uh, a couple of weeks back, I spoke to Dave Russell, uh, the president of Apollo Gold, and as I said, a sponsor to this show. Um, Dave updated us on the performance of Apollo's Black Fox mining operation, as well as the plans to soon begin underground mining of higher-grade ore, as well as some very exciting exploration prospects uh, also that are being uh, uh, explored in Ontario. So the Apollo story is fairly well known to our listeners and to subscribers to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, because it is also a current recommendation there. But Linear Gold is not as well known to me and to my listeners um, and my subscribers, so I'd like to ask you to inform us about what Linear will bring into this newly formed entity. And um, before we finish our discussion, I also uh, would like you to, to give us some sense of, of what the new combined entity will look like. But before we get into a discussion of the gold mining properties and prospects for Linear, um, can you tell our listeners what the share structure of the new entity will look like post-merger? The, the new company will have, uh, Brigus Gold will have 129 million shares outstanding uh, once the merger is completed. On a fully, fully diluted basis, there will be 155 million shares outstanding. The company will be held um, upon, upon closing. Approximately 47% of the company will be held by linear gold shareholders, current linear gold shareholders, with the balance of 53% of Brigus uh, to be held by Apollo Gold shareholders. Okay, do you have a target date for when this new merger might take place, and do you have a, uh, a symbol yet, um, a trading symbol for the new entity? The merger will uh, on uh, June the 24th, and um, we anticipate within one week of, uh, of that vote date, um, we'll have formal approval from the various regulatory bodies, and we'll begin to trade on the Amex uh, stock exchange in, in the United States, as well as the TSX exchange in Canada. Um, as of yet, we do not have a, new, a symbol for the, for the new combined company, but that is something that we anticipate that we'll be in a position to announce in the coming days. All right, let's, uh, uh, let's get on then to some of, the, um, uh, some of the assets that Linear brings into this new com, uh, combined uh, entity. Uh, I understand that your flagship property is up uh, near Uranium City in Saskatchewan. Could you give our listeners some, uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, that project, um, if you could please, and you know how soon it might be into production and maybe something about the economics? The, um, the property, the, the core property held in Linear Gold, it's, it's actually called the Goldfields pro- property. It is uh, located in northern Saskatchewan in Canada, um, it's located next to a small historical mining town called Uranium City. Now, this project was in production by, by Kaminko from 1939 to 1942. It was a small underground mining operation um, producing um, about 500 tons of, a, a day of ore. Um, and over a three-year period, they mined a total of 66,000 ounces. So it was a small-scale mining operation. Um, what uh, we purchased, Linear Gold purchased this project about a year ago, and um, the previous owner had recognized that there was bulk mining potential on this project. 
So they um, completed a feasibility study that called for a 5,000 ton per day open pit mining operation. The feasibility study has been completed and it's been, it is quite favorable. And um, the project is scheduled to go in production in 2013. It will produce between 70 and 75,000 ounces of gold per year and um, the, with a cash cost in the range of 400 to $425 per ounce of gold produced. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, given current gold prices, at least, and if costs remain in that area, it certainly would look like a, a profitable operation. What, can you tell us anything about what the capital cost might look like for that project? The capital costs are, are in the range of U.S. $100 million. Mm-hmm. $100 million. Cash flow from the Black Fox mine in Ontario and, of course, uh, will we'll require additional funding either through debt or equity between now and 2013. So it will be funded through uh, you know, a, a combination of internal monies and, uh, and, and external monies. Do you, uh, do you anticipate any, any need to, um, to hedge? Are the, the bankers likely to ask you to hedge some of that? Right now, um, the merged company, Brigus Gold, will have um, a hedge book at the end of 2010 of approximately 143,000 ounces of gold. So that will be the remaining hedge book. It's our intention moving forward not to, uh, not to increase the hedge book. In fact, we look forward to, to paying the hedge book down month over month. We, uh, we have exposure to gold prices. Approximately half of our gold production this year from the mine in Ontario will be sold into the spot market with half sold into the hedge book. But moving forward, we're going to do our best to avoid any future hedging so that we increase our exposure to rising gold prices as we move forward. Um, oftentimes, banks will require hedging, but there are other creative, uh, more creative uh, um, lending alternatives out there, such as gold loans and, uh, and of course, equity financing. So we are going to try to find a balance um, that uh, enables us to obtain uh, financing without uh, increasing the hedge book. Okay. Uh, would like to get into the combined entity and what it's going to look like um, you know, uh, hedged and non-hedged production and so forth. But I'd like to ask you first if you could just comment on other properties. I know that Linear has a number of other exploration uh, properties that it's that it's been working on. Could you just talk about a couple of those? Sure. What's interesting is that uh, both Apollo and Linear bring bring both um, production development and exploration projects to the merger. So it's 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 a merger of of, of near equals when we bring mm-hmm. these two companies together. Um, Linear's flagship project is a development project, so it will be the merged company's second mine, uh, the Goldfields Mine in Saskatchewan. We also have uh, projects in Mexico and in the Dominican Republic. Starting in the Dominican Republic, um, L- Linear holds three projects that are, uh, one of them is directly adjacent to the uh, Pueblo Viejo uh, gold mine, which uh, Barrick are developing and bringing into production. And um, we have two others that are in that same on those projects. Um, a few years ago, the, the partner is called Everton Resources. It's a well-run uh, micro-cap exploration company based in Canada. Andre O'Day is the uh, president and CEO. Uh, the company's uh, had a track record of, uh, of uh, raising capital uh, to fund their operations. They have a very strong exploration team. So they've led uh, an exploration effort on our projects in the Dominican Republic. Well, if I might just if I might just mention there that I actually was down on that property uh, with Everton a, f- a few weeks back, and I, I know that they're extremely bullish about it uh, about that project, and I believe they are earning, spending money to earn in to a fifty percent position there. I believe is that right? 
That's exactly right. Um, they've actually earned the, an interest in one of the projects. It's called the Amplacion Pueblo Viejo project. Mm-hmm. And um, there is very good upside there. There's a number of uh, high-priority pro- drill targets, which will be tested this year. It's exploration. It comes with the normal risks associated with exploration. But we believe the exploration p- portfolio of linear, including the projects in the Dominican Republic, complement the production and development uh, you know, that's going to happen over the next few years. So it's, it's a good mix of projects in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving, moving on to Mexico, we have a, um, a project there called Ixhuatan, which, um, which has a resource of, of a little over 1 million ounces of gold. And that particular project uh, will require additional work to determine if indeed it will be economic. We hope to do some additional exploration on that project in 2011 and 2012. So we'll see if the economics work out on Mexico as well. So would you say that the, that the possibility of the next producing project, uh, if it is to occur from your current portfolio, would come from Mexico most likely? Or well, is it too early to say that? Yeah, it's a little early, Jay, to uh, to determine whether or not it will be Mexico or mm-hmm. if it could possibly be the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. But uh, we intend to do additional work to see if the Me- Mexican project is viable and if, in fact, uh, there's a production opportunity there. Well, certainly, uh, knowing Apollo as I do, they have a lot of exploration potential, too, uh, to go along with production. So um, could you give us a sense of what the new combined entity might look like in terms of, first of all, in terms of production going forward, 2010, 2011, um, maybe 2012, if you can go out that far? I guess your your property doesn't come into production until 2013, I think you said. Uh, your, your property uh, came into production... Are you, you're expecting to produce in 2013, and I was asking if you, uh, if, if you uh, could give our listeners some sense of what the combined company will look like in terms of production and cost of production uh, 2010, 2011, 2012, um, or going out as far as you care to into the future. Upon completion of the merger, um, Burgess Gold will be, will be a gold producer. During 2010, um, the company will produce 90, approximately 90,000 ounces of gold uh, in, for, the, for the year 2010. Uh, that's from January to December, pre- and post-merger for the entire calendar year. In 2011, the company will do 110,000 ounces of gold. Moving on, uh, once the Goldfields project is in production, that production rate will step up from, 100 and, uh, from about 110,000 ounces to between 180 and 200,000 ounces of gold mm-hmm. per year. So we truly are a growth company. Mm-hmm. Uh, move, moving forward, growths in production will, will totally depend upon our success in bringing on additional uh, reserves, either in Mexico or perhaps on the projects um, in Ontario. As you indicated, there is really good, uh, strong exploration potential at the, um, at the Black Fox and adjoining properties in Ontario. And our priority, one of the catalysts that uh, we believe will, uh, could have a, an impact on our valuation um, for the remainder of the year will be an exploration program that we hope to start in July-August um, at, uh, at the property in Ontario. So we intend to, uh, to do a, a large-scale drilling program to determine um, if there's potential to add to the reserve base in Ontario starting, uh, starting in the next couple of months. Okay, going back to the production, let's say 90,000 ounces this year, I think you indicated that 50% of that will be, uh, is hedged. And at what price is that hedged? The, the hedging, the hedge book is at $876 per ounce. 
Okay, and uh, what what is the perceived cost per ounce, or what is the anticipated cost per ounce this year and then next year? I think it goes down with the with the higher grade underground um, resource uh, uh, being mined we, and, and milled. Ounce low for this year and next year will be will be in the range of five hundred to five hundred and fifty dollars per ounce. We expect uh, in 2011 it will be in the lower end, end of that range, and in 2010, this year, it will be in the higher end of, of, of that range. So we expect that our cost per ounce will decrease uh, moving into 2011. Okay. Um, so what, uh, going forward then, what would you say uh, the biggest risk is to investors who might come in and buy um, either of your companies or buy the combined entity in the, in the near term after, you, after that's been accomplished? What's the biggest um, concern that investors should have? There's, um, you know, there's two sides of the equation. Of course, there's the there's the risk. Of course, uh, which you know, there's always risks in this business. the The largest the largest risk would be execution execution risk, simply because we are uh, we are a, a production and development company. So uh, possibilities of, uh, of of problems with respect to production. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the one of the things as as the mine started in in May of 2009. There were some startup issues, but uh, those have been worked out, and the mine is operating very well. So we believe that uh, many of those risks have been mitigated, and uh, the property has, in fact, been de-risked. Uh, moving on to 2013, we will be bringing the second mine into production to, to you know, to fuel our growth strategy. So there will be risks with that project as well. Um, mm-hmm. And these are things that the you know the investors certainly need to be need to be cognizant of. Certainly do, and we like to always ask that question of our uh, CEO interviews because uh, you know we think it's it's easy to talk about the upside um, and it's easy to dream. And I certainly think though that the market, my view is that the market probably is not giving you full value for the upside, all the exploration potential you have, and maybe because you are a production company, but. You know, as I look at the possibility of upside uh, resources coming out of Ontario, it seems to me there's there's an enormous amount of potential there. I'm not as familiar with a lot of your properties, although I do know that Dominican Republic situation looks very, very, very good. And um, so I, I just would just like to ask you um, anything else you'd like to maybe highlight before we say goodbye? Well, we're quite excited about the, the future of the company. The merger, we're bringing together two companies that are that are equal in size. They, the assets complement each other very well. So there's two catalysts that we believe will in gold production. We have a we have a plan to move this company in terms of production from uh, 90,000 ounces this year to 180 to 200,000 ounces by 2013. The second catalyst is exploration, and uh, we have a, a, a tremendous portfolio of projects that we believe will will um, uh, enable us to increase the number of ounces of gold that we hold on our balance sheet. So we intend to increase our production and focus on quality exploration to increase our ounces of gold in the ground. And those are the two catalysts that we see which will help drive value for our company in the future. No doubt about it. And, and certainly as uh, if and as you're able to expand your resources and that along with production, successful, profitable production will no, no doubt uh, cause the markets to price your shares considerably higher. We say that, of course, with the always uh, the, the caveat that's always there, that this is a high-risk, high-return business. But, you know, I, I see an awful lot of upside on this, which is why I've got, uh, uh, you know, why I've got you, in a sense, uh, in my newsletter and expect to have the combined entity there, too, uh, post-merger, which will happen again in the very near future, I guess. And uh, that target date, again, more or less, is early next month, I guess. That's right. We we will be trading um, under the new name, Burgess Gold, early 
early uh, the first week of July. Well, thank you so much, Wade. I guess before we say goodbye, I'd just like to know where can people follow this new company? I mean, is there a website for the new company, or can they just plug into Linear Gold now, or, or how should they keep up to date with uh, with your progress? Right now, uh, Apollo Gold Apollo Gold has a website, ApolloGold.com. Linear Gold has its own website, LinearGoldCorp.com. But the combined company in early July will have a new website, which will be BurgessGold.com. That will be up and running in about 10 to 14 days. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Wade, for sharing your time and the vision of the future with the new uh, Brigus Gold with our listeners. Uh, we hope we can have you back again sometime. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with Robert Justra. He's the president and CEO of Columbus Silver. That's a low-priced, real penny gold, uh, gold and silver stock, really, that uh, a, a little bit different than, than Brigus and, uh, and um, Apollo. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, this is where this industry is. I think we're in a long-term bull market. There's lots of upside potential, I think, long-term because of the real price of gold is rising dramatically. Earnings are, are rising with the major gold producers. I think we're in a long-term bull market. So companies like Brigus Gold that are producing now as well as those that are uh, exploring and developing also in many cases look good. So we're going to talk to Robert Justra after the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly-owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm happy to have with me Robert Justra. He's the president and CEO of Columbus Silver Corp. That's a, a sponsor to this show, and we thank Robert for that. Uh, Columbus Silver trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol CSC, recently trading at around 10 to 11 cents. 37.3 million shares outstanding gives it a market cap of something uh, around $4 million, $3, $4 million. Welcome, Robert, to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Well, it's really good to have you. Not only has Columbus Silver been a sponsor of this show, but it has also become a recommendation in my newsletter, and I own some shares personally in my retirement account, which I bought uh, on the open market. Uh, I I recommended Columbus Silver to my readers back on March 11th um, at um, 11.8 cents in U.S. money, to be exact. There were three basic reasons why I found this stock to be attractive at that time. First, your stock was cheap. That is, the market cap was only, at that time, about $3.2 million. Secondly, you had an historical resource of 300,000-ounce gold-equivalent ounces or 16 million silver-equivalent ounces. And thirdly, you had a considerable amount of exploration potential, or at least that's the way I perceived it. Well, it's been more than about three months since your stock... um, since we purchased your stock in my newsletter and I purchased it in my account. Nothing much has happened so far. Uh, is there something I'm missing, or has something changed in this picture? Well, I think over the last three months, the price in gold and uh, silver has uh, remained relatively stable, so it's no surprise our share price hasn't moved, Jay. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some significant events that I think uh, will impact the share price that are going to occur over the next several months. Uh, principally a, a drill program that's going to start over at our consolidated deposit. Mm-hmm. And we think that's probably going to, well, that's, we're expecting it to start around September. We're in the halfway through the permitting process now. And uh, with some luck, we uh, should have drills turning at some point in September. And we're, we've got a good idea of what we're going to drill there because the uh, historical uh, uh, drill results um, averaged nine ounces silver and five grams gold, so not a bad start. And we're sitting on a silver equivalent of about 16 million ounces of silver. Mm-hmm. And this is all really near surface, surface mineable, or do you have to go underground to, to get to this? Well, we would have to go underground, but we wouldn't be going underground with uh, shafts. Uh, yeah. It would be accessible through you know, adits mm-hmm. and uh, amenable to low-cost underground mining. Yeah. Um, uh, literally, you're driving a truck into the side of the mountain, uh, mm-hmm. blasting ore out and driving out. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, if you're going to underground mine, it's the preferable method for underground mining. And uh, fortunately, these veins and the wall rocks are quite amenable to this type of mining. So you're, it's important, of course, the the width of the uh, of the mineable structures. And uh, are they are they pretty good widths there generally? The the historical widths 
that have been mined uh, averaged about 15 to 25 feet. So oh, that's good. That, that's, so considered very, that's considered very good. Yeah, I would think so because, uh, you know, to give uh, people that may not be that familiar with mining a little sense of it, I mean, you need a, you need a certain amount of room just to get in there and move your, your equipment around. So if you can really basically not have to move non-gold-producing rock, it's a, it's a lot more efficient in, in mining cost. That's exactly right. And these... Um, uh, other important aspects uh, to be amenable underground mining include the geometry of the vein. Mm-hmm. And the geometry of these veins in particular are perfect for this type of mining. So we've got hard wall rocks, we've got the right geometry, and we've got the right thicknesses uh, to uh, to be able to utilize this type of mining. Having said that, mining isn't one of our objectives. Um, uh, our objective is to delineate a, a deposit, which... Uh, somebody else will want to mine, uh, sure. likely a, a major mining company. Sure. Well, I mean, that's a very important point, um, uh, actually, Robert, because, you know, when people that may not be that familiar with, with the mining sector should realize that there are companies that really uh, just go out and find the deposits, and then they build value for shareholders that way, and then sell those deposits off or get taken over by a major, and, and shareholders can do extremely well, especially if they buy a stock like yours with a market cap of three or four million and if you're successful i mean that's where the upside can can be several many many times the price you paid for the stock if you're uh... you know if you're successful well i can i can tell our listeners and my subscribers would know that when we first talked about your company we showed a map in the newsletter that showed numerous veins i mean you guys have countless veins that are yet to be tested is that right so i mean as i said one of the reasons that i liked your stock was not only the fact that you had something real in the ground already and you were very very inexpensive but you had it seemed to be an awful lot of upside uh, exploration potential would you care to talk about that for a minute yeah we um, what we've done jay is we've consolidated uh, an entire historic district we own about better than 80 percent of the district and this district was one of these typical historical districts where you've got a patent claim owned by an individual uh, that was staked by their great-grandfather in 1880. And so the district was very, it was very fragmented, uh, owned by many different individuals. And we managed to do something that no one's managed to do since World War II, and that was consolidate much of this district uh, to enough of an extent uh, that it warranted doing some work. And uh, you're quite right. Uh, the, the exercise of consolidating the district uh, has resulted in uh, our property uh, holding dozens and dozens of veins that have never, ever been drilled. Uh, we estimate that there are about 45 miles of veins. Hmm. The old-timers only developed about three miles. So the exploration upside is, is quite significant. I think most importantly as well, I should mention that the downside is very limited. Um, uh, on one of these veins, we have a historical deposit of a silver equivalent of 16 million ounces of silver. So that's the starting point here. We're starting at 16 million ounces of silver. We think that deposit can be bigger, and we also think there are opportunities to expand uh, the overall tonnage by drilling other veins. Uh, so our long-term plan is to test some of these other targets, uh, but our next phase of drilling will be fully fully uh, concentrated on the existing deposit, uh, which we think has considerable upside. Okay, and uh, what we're talking about here is a property called the Mogollon, uh, Mogollon property. Am I saying that right, Robert? Yeah, it's pronounced Mogollon, 
And, Mogollon, uh, almost and, right. And, uh, and that's in New Mexico. And I'm not sure if we said that early on when I introduced you. So I just want to make sure people realize that you're also operating in a, you know, in a relatively safe um, uh, district, a relatively safe uh, ge- uh, political uh, area as well. I, th- I should think. Well, yeah, it's the United States, and um, I, I think here, if you're in the mining business, it's definitely one of the places you want to be. Uh, you want to be active. New Mexico does have a long history of mining. Uh, it, uh, it it developed a bit of a bad reputation in the early 90s for permitting because uh, they were pioneers in enacting uh, stringent environmental laws, as I think you're probably aware. And uh, the rest of the world is caught up. So permitting in New Mexico is just like permitting in Nevada or elsewhere in the United States now. Um, recently, there was a gold mine permitted by a company called Santa Fe about 50 miles away from us. Mm-hmm. They... Uh, they have a deposit that's quite similar to to, uh, to our deposit. Uh, they have about 16 million ounces of silver equivalent, uh, and they didn't uh, they didn't bother drilling that deposit, Jay. They thought they had enough there to just start mining, and that's what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. All right. Do they they have some exploration potential too? I suppose, or I don't. Maybe you're not familiar with that. I don't know. You you certainly have some. So I'd like to ask you. Uh, what about um, you know you, you mentioned you have all these veins to explore? Uh, do you have a fair amount of money in the till? Are you going to have to raise some more money, or, or what is your your program? Do you have a drill program set out yet, uh, and know how much you're going to drill, how much you're going to spend? Will you have to raise some more capital? Because those are the kinds of questions that investors always need to sort of keep an eye on um, as you know as they invest in these smaller um, small cap companies. Well, you're quite right. I mean, we're a junior mining company, and generally we go from uh, phase to phase of drilling, um, you know, raising money as required. The program that we've set out is going to cost us uh, close to a million dollars, and our intention is to go to the market um, next month, raise that capital, complete the uh, permitting process, and uh, we expect the drills to start turning in September, as I, as I think I mentioned earlier. Right. Well, you certainly uh, certainly investors have a lot to look forward to with some good drill results. Uh, uh, these little uh, these little small cap companies can really rise in value very dramatically. You also have some other properties in the United States. You have some in Arizona, I think, in Utah. Would you care to comment briefly about those? Well, Jay, we're 100 percent focused on Mogollon, but we do we do have a portfolio of about eight properties. Uh, they're they're earlier stage uh, exploration properties, and we feel uh, our shareholder money is best best concentrated on a development stage asset like Mogion. So that's where we're going to be focused uh, in the coming months, probably the coming years. However, there there has been more interest in uh, joint venturing properties recently. As you know, we've gone through a really tough time in the last couple of years in the industry in general. There wasn't a lot of uh, uh, activity um, uh, in the junior sector uh, for, you know, for for exploration programs because it was difficult to raise money. Right. Well, that's changed now, and our phone is ringing. Uh, companies are calling, asking about some of those other projects, and um, we expect that some of them will get joint ventured to third parties uh, at, at some point in the coming months. Well, certainly um, that is true. We can we can see uh, activity picking up because the juniors have been able to raise money after that devastating decline following the Lehman Brothers. Uh, failure back in 2008, but uh, so uh, some of these other properties that you have are, are they pretty early exploration? Have any of them had some work done on the past, or just if you could just give us a sense of whether sure. they have? There, 
there's eight properties in the portfolio. Uh, Mogollon is one of them. Uh, we have another advanced stage asset uh, in uh, in Arizona with a, a resource of about 18 million ounces of silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not working on that project at this time. It is quite prospective, but as I said, we're very focused at Mogollon. And then we have another six projects that are our early stage, and uh, uh, we, you know, our our intention is to joint venture those properties. And you know what the typical joint venture agreement looks like: um, spend X amount of money to earn fifty-one percent, mm-hmm. complete a bankable feasibility to earn another nineteen or twenty percent. Uh, my anticipation is that uh, our agreements will look much like that, and mm-hmm. uh, some of those some of those 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 properties will get worked on. Uh, but it'll be by other parties. Uh, Robert, I think I I believe, and this is why, again, why I recommended your stock to my readers and my subscribers, was that there was very little downside uh, risk at this price, given the fact that you have already some silver and gold uh, historical resource. And, you know, given the price and given the fact that you had a lot of exploration potential, and I might add also, uh, your portfolio of properties themselves could probably justify the current market cap. So, you know, from a purely value point of view, it seems like there's not a lot of risk. But one of the things that I would like to just ask you about that seems to be common to a lot of really smaller, low-priced companies is the risk of illiquidity sometimes. Investors that may not be a, uh, aware of this market or maybe you know, used to buying uh, larger cap stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, never seem to have a problem with, with liquidity. But sometimes these these kind of, I'm not saying that this is your situation. I don't believe it is your situation. But at times, you know, when you have really difficult markets, you can run into illiquidity in, in these kinds of stocks. Uh, could you give us some sense of how many shares your, your, um, your company's been trading? Well, it varies. Uh, it varies, Jay. When we when we um, started working on this project uh, some months ago, uh, there was you know, there was some decent activity. It uh-huh. traded uh, a half million, a million shares a week, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is decent. Sure. Uh, that's that's tapered off coming into May. Um, there's there's been less activity, uh, but there's one major event I think that's going to put a lot of eyes on the stock again, and I, I think that's going to be the commencement of the drill program, mm-hmm. likely around September. We're drilling a deposit which historically has uh, returned grades of nine ounces silver and five grams gold mm-hmm. um, in, in two fashions. First, in the grades mined by the old-timers, the old-timers pulled out uh, about uh, 10 million ounces of, of silver out of our consolidated deposit, mm-hmm. and they mined down to a certain point. They stopped. Uh, in the 1980s, uh, our exploration team um, uh, drilled uh, drilled some holes and duplicated those results uh, or some very wide spacing. Some of the holes are as, as far as a thousand feet apart. Hmm. My anticipation is that uh, when we commence drilling that um, uh, liquidity won't be an issue, mm-hmm. particularly when we announce drill results. Uh, you, I mean, you never know what the drill results are going to be, but uh, you could... Uh, you can conceptualize that if you're drilling between two holes that have five grams gold and seven, eight, or nine ounces of silver, what you might find in between, notwithstanding yeah. that there's quite a lot of distance between those holes. But sure. from a risk perspective, um, uh, it looks it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I do want to add, Jay, that we didn't touch on, and I think it's very important for a junior mining company, and that's the, the management team. Sure. I'm not referring to the executives. I'm referring in particular to 
our management team on the ground, and that's the Cordex Group. Mm-hmm. We have an exclusive relationship with Cordex. Uh, they're accredited with discovering the Carlin Mine in Nevada, mm. which uh, was the first uh, discovery of what we now call Carlin-type mineralization. And then mm-hmm. other companies came into the area, found more mines, and now you have the Carlin trend and the Battle Mountain trend. Right. Well, that, that all started because of Cordex. Wow. And... Um, and that's who you're Over working the next, with. That's who we work with on an exclusive basis. They only work with us. They run our programs. They acquire our properties. Mogion came through Cordex. But over the next, uh, after the Carlin discovery, over the course of the next 35 years, they're accredited with uh, about seven or eight more discoveries. And mm-hmm. Not the kind of discoveries you hear geologists talk about that never produced uh, yeah. uh, or uh, good grades uh, in outcrop, but never amounted to anything. Um, I'm referring to the sort of discoveries that went into production, and um, some of them are quite well known. They discovered the Mary Gold Mine, which is owned by Gold Corp, 5 million ounces. They discovered the Stonehouse Lone Tree deposit, 12 million ounces of gold. They discovered Pinson, which today is about 3 million ounces, but they um, they were mining it in the 1970s, and at the time, it accounted for 7% of all domestic gold production in the United oh. States. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're a pretty significant group. And uh, when comparing us uh, to other juniors, particularly in the United States, I think an investor needs to keep in mind who's running the programs. And uh, I think there's no doubt that uh, with a company like Cordex behind us that our programs um, are going to be carried out uh, in a proper fashion and that our uh, prospecting programs uh, may amount to something. But particularly if they're recommending a project, uh, there's got to be something behind it. Sure. And, uh, and that's how Mogion came to be. So you're, you're really uh, allowing Cordex to provide the, the guiding light with respect to exploration and, and new, uh, new possibilities, new projects? Precisely. They guide our exploration on our existing projects, and uh, they um, acquire new projects on our behalf. Well, it's uh, terrific, and I just, you know, again, I would underscore the uh, the risk reward uh, situation here for for your company, Robert. It seems to me that uh, you know, with a market cap of under five million, under four million, even I guess, uh, at, at the current time, with with uh, minerals, with gold and silver in the ground, with lots of exploration potential, you know, I tell my subscribers not to um, allocate more than five percent to any one company. Uh, I don't know if, if that's something that, that you think is wise or not, but I just know that people sometimes can get very excited about a given stock and they back up the truck. And, well, you know, if, if, you're, if you hit uh, or if you hit when you expect to hit, then you're, you're very, very happy. But sometimes these things have a way of taking longer than we expect. Sometimes drill results are not as successful as you hope, and it takes longer. But, uh, but it's, it's a risk-reward game that's in a bull market like we're in now for gold. I think it's, it's, a, it's a risk-reward game that even more conservative players can take if they spread their risk over a number of issues. And so, you know, I mean, I've got no problem. In fact, I own shares of your, your stock in my own IRA, uh, less than 5%, but nonetheless, it's one of those, I think, that has a great chance of, of uh, you know, being a 5 or 10 bagger down the road. So never any guarantees. Robert, is there anything else you'd like to say uh, before we say goodbye? Uh, Jay, I think we covered everything off. I uh, appreciate the, the opportunity. 
All right. And uh, I hope to be talking to you again soon with some, some updates. I hope. That would be great. And some good, uh, good assays would be really uh, exciting. Uh, can you tell our listeners where they can keep track of your company's progress uh, aside from this show? Well, our, uh, our website is columbussilvercorp.com. And uh, our stock symbol, which I think you mentioned, is uh, it's traded on the TSX Venture Exchange, and the symbol is uh, CSC, Charlie Sam Charlie. Yes, indeed. And I guess just for the sake of, uh, it also does trade on the uh, on the pink sheets or on the over-the-counter market. And I'm not sure if I have that that with me right now. I usually uh, mention it, but uh, in any event, uh, thanks again for being with us and. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hope to talk to you soon uh, in the near future. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next is our special guest this week. He's Martin Gross. He's the author of a book called National Suicide. That's not a very happy topic, but what we want to talk to Martin about uh, is uh, how the United States has gotten itself into this position, why the currency is in such wretched shape, and then try to understand why the gold price is rising as it is, and why people are likely to make a lot of money in their gold investments in the years to come. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Gross. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver Corp, traded Toronto, symbol CSC, and in the United States, symbol CSLVF, offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojion gold and silver property, hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk-reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank you for listening to this show, and I want to thank our sponsors uh, during the second hour for making this show financially possible. Uh, the sponsors for the second hour are Barkerville Gold, Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, Columbus Silver, Coronado Resources, Uranium Energy, Gold Rich Mining Company, and Canico Resources. Well, welcome back again to uh, Turning Hard Times into Good Times, and welcome back also, Martin Gross, our uh, our special guest this week, Martin, was with us some time ago. He's written a book uh, that is an excellent book. It's called National Suicide. Uh, it outlines the enormous waste and abuse of the federal government and how the willingness of politicians from both parties, I might add, uh, to spend your money and your children's money in the future for extravagant living for today is running us into bankruptcy. And um, so Martin is, the, as I say, the author of National Suicide, uh, and welcome, Martin, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you for having me. I always enjoy going on to discuss the fiscal madness of Washington, D.C., a course that is driving us into bankruptcy and destroying a great nation and doing a very good job of destroying it. Well, it is sad, isn't it? But is it just the federal government? We, we, you know, we focus on the federal government because I think that's where it starts. But we've seen a lot of the things that you talk about are related to the banking system as well. We've had this enormous of the credit cards, for example. Um, you know, all of these policies were sort of directed by monetary and fiscal policy of the federal government. Would you agree with that? Oh, yes, of course. The, the credit card situation is the, they take advantage of the fact that the average person has very little capital and has to borrow, and of course they have excessive. The, the interest rates go up to 30%. As a matter of fact, I was in Florida one year in the winter, and I, I didn't get my bills, and I was a little late, and they raised my interest rate from 999 to 30% when I got wow. And of course I screamed and yelled and said, I'm going to drop you if you don't, but they, they put me back. But it's automatic, and they, they take in billions of dollars in late fees, and the late fee, late fee is sort of a racket. They, they don't count the time it takes for you to get the bill, and then also the time it takes to, for them to get the bill, and then three days processing. So they say there's 25 days, it's really about 11 days. Yeah. And, and then they so there's all kinds of tricks that they pull to try to to try to pick the pockets of average hardworking honest people. Right. But the government, of course, is the master of that. You know, they uh, they said that the budget deficit for 2009 was 1.417 trillion. And I did the math. Anyone can do the math. You just take the national debt at the beginning of the year, the national debt at the end of the year, and you subtract it, and that's the real deficit. <laughs> So I did that, and they came up with a different number, not 1417, but 1885, which is 30% higher and uh, makes the full difference. And uh, just to be sure, I checked it with the Bureau of the National Debt of the Treasury, the only people in America who tell the truth. And I said, who's correct, Martin Gross or President Obama? And they said, Mr. Gross, you are, as usual, because I deal with them over the last 25 years. So now the, this year, 2010, they still haven't given us a deficit. But the first seven months of this year, 
the deficit is just a few billion short of last year. So the way it's going, they say it's going to be one sixth. It's going to be one at least one eight. And next year it will be the same. They haven't even discussed a budget for next year because they're afraid. And the reason is they're just throwing the money away, as I, as I prove in, in my book. I would say that National Suicide is the only book ever written and the only book extant that has the real details of how the government wastes our money. And it's, it's, it's an abnormal uh, waste. And it's also... Uh, horrible in the sense that it doesn't do the job that it's supposed to do. For example, it's supposed to take care of the poor. What they do is they throw the money away. They, they, there is no item called welfare in the federal budget. If you try to put in welfare in the budget on the computer, you get absolutely nothing. The reason is they're ashamed of what they do, so they hide it in six different cabinet agencies and 86 different programs that you can't find unless you know where to go. Well, a woman at the Congressional Research Service who has since retired, so they don't do it anymore, every two years, Hunden pecked through and found out that the amount of money on welfare was $700 billion a year or 65000 for every poor family in America, which, of course, is atrocious because they don't get the $65 billion. And the reason is that it's all duplication, all stupidity, all separate bureaucracy. And uh, if you put a computer in so that everybody getting welfare has a number, and we know exactly how much each person is taking from the welfare system, and we set a, a maximum, let's say, forty, fifty thousand dollars per family, which is quite reasonable. We save about three hundred billion dollars a year. But they don't do that because there's absolutely no interest in the federal government on trying to be a reasonable entity. It's a cataclysmic, moronic operation, mm-hmm. like the Marx Brothers uh, movie, <laughs> Transylvania. Now, for example, recently they said, well, Greece is going under. Well, America is much worse than Greece. The, um, they said that the finance minister lied, as Mr. Obama lies all the time in terms of the numbers. And they found out that the Greece deficit was 12.7% of the GDP. Uh, and uh, America is 13.3%. So we're worse off than Greece and getting worse each year. And there's no intention of stopping it because it has... As far as the government's concerned, great political value. The more money they waste, the more groups are happy with the money being wasted. And the least patriotic people in America are, of course, the, the, the American politicians. And the, uh, the situation is such that it was mainly the Democrats, but the Republicans, when they came in in 1990, uh, 1994, the Republicans were in for 12 years, and they, they did... Uh, they did as bad as the as the Democrats. Mr. Well. Bush, <laughs> Mr. Bush, in two years rolled up in, in eight years rolled up three and a half trillion dollars in debt. But Mr. Obama has done exactly the same. He's rolled up three point seven trillion in debt in just two years. Mm. And so we have to cut. In the back of my book, in the last chapter, I cut six hundred billion. Do it very easily and very simply because I understand how the government operates and I know how they get out the 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 waste and the stupidity and. Uh, I've testified six times before Congress, the House and Senate, and each time they applaud me. They say, wonderful, wonderful, we're going to do something. But they never do anything. Because never they never do anything. They have no intention well, this is the issue, you know, Martin. I'd like to. Fiscal Madness is really the title, is really a, a title for your book, essentially, because you have covered, I think, for every letter in the alphabet, you have at least one item 
of fiscal madness or monetary madness that is part of our part of our system and there's no way that we can go through all of them there's so many very fascinating uh, fascinating topics and, and insights in this book that folks you really should go out and buy national suicide I suppose Martin you can buy it at the at any bookstore yeah, and Amazon has it on sale. It's normally $15 a paperback. They sell it for 10 20 Okay, so I, I just wanted to get that in there, but I'd like to ask you, uh, what do you think is the most egregious uh, fiscal irresponsible act by our government? What, no, if you were I'll to start from last, top uh, down, the most egregious, and then go down, let's, let's name a couple of the top ones, if you would. Okay. And then before we, say good, you know, before we finish this half hour, I want you to name some of those cuts that you think could be made. Sure. But let's, let's, let's talk about a couple of the most egregious uh, um, fiscal well, irresponsibilities the leading, the of the government, if you would, please. Start, start there. In 1980s, Greenspan raised the Social Security taxes 25% to meet future obligations of the boomers. Instead, each year from the 1980s, the federal government stole the, the surplus of the Social Security Fund because people paid in more than came out, and that money was spent and wasted on other items, not Social Security, and they gave the Social Security Fund a IOU, which today equals $2.2 trillion. The money was spent elsewhere, and those IOUs are worthless because they're part of the national debt. And eventually, we're going to have to raise the FICA taxes 50% to pay for the boomers' retirement. So we've got to not only pay for the boomers' retirement, we've got to pay an extra $2.2 trillion that they stole for other efforts. And when uh, uh, Fitz Hollings of South Carolina did a whole paper on this, and he said that this is how the government steals the Social Security money, and uh, they uh, they didn't refute him, but they paid no attention to him because yeah. the, whole, the whole system is based upon this chicanery. Now, for example... The welfare, uh, we, 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 there are 86 different programs. If we had a Department of Welfare with a computer, we save $300 billion right away by setting a, let's say, a $45,000 limit, which, would, which is very generous for a, for a welfare home. Now, right now, for example, Section 8 housing, there's 100000 just in New York City. They live in luxury apartments, which cost $2,000 a month. The uh, recipients pay only four to $500 a month. And they live next door to somebody who's paying the full 2000 who then has to make 2700 to pay for the rent. And they, these people are not paying taxes to begin with. So this is a welfare system which gives poor people living like upper-middle-class people and upper-middle-class people uh, being strangulated uh, by the government. And they, they keep duplicating programs. A congressman gets in, it's unlike the parliamentary system in Europe where the, where the minister both uh, uh, passes the legislation and executes it. So here's one a, a duplication. But in America, the congressman passes the legislation. The bureaucracy is set up. The congressman walks away from it. There's no sunset position. And the constant duplication, we have 163 different job training programs, none of which work. We have 27 for teenage pregnancy, 50 programs for the homeless, 163 job training, 90 for early childhood development, 72 for statistics, 341 for economic development, and they found out, which is the most atrocious thing ever, the Federal Home Loan Bank Board president in Des Moines, Iowa, said, I get all these federal programs coming across my desk. I have no idea what they are. I have no idea what they do. I don't know what they cost. He hired Stanford Research for a million dollars. They did a report. It took a couple of years. And it said it's a worthless program. There are 1,399 duplicated programs for the rural areas, and some of them are 70 and 80 years old. 
They're not even archived. Nobody except the SRI knows that they even exist. And every year they go up in value, and they provide. And the program, the report says they have no value to anyone. So uh. The government, the government is a is a uh, an arcane, hidden, uh, semi-criminal uh, operation. Uh, I'll give you a quick example: Medicare paid two hundred and three thousand ambulance claims twice. Who cares? Nobody cares. The Government Accountability Office said they cannot verify the nation's books. They're totally out of whack in accounting. The um, Medicaid paid $27 million to individuals who are already dead. Twelve employee thieves were hired by the IRS, even though they had criminal records beforehand. The, the federal government has government credit cards, supposedly, for small purchases, and they give out a half a million to federal employees, and they use, one guy used $3,000 for breast enlargement for his girlfriend, 74000 for exotic, exotic strip clubs, and the hundreds of millions of dollars for personal. One guy uh, charged the government credit card for a, uh, a cruise to Alaska, another one for the closing of his house. And these people don't go to jail. They get slapped on the wrist. Yeah. So basically what we have is a, uh, a moronic government and there's not even an inspector general to look at for it who's, uh, what shall I say, who's independent. Right now, the cabinet officer hires the inspector general who reports not to the president, not to the public, not to the Congress, but to the man who hired him. So naturally, there's very little enforcement. What we need is a national inspector general who hires all of them, runs it as a police organization, and that will help somewhat. But right now, it's, the whole thing is a giant racket, a giant racket. Well, it seems to me, Martin, that what we have is very, very parasitic because what you're saying is the, the middle class, the, the people that are actually working and creating wealth, are being taxed so that other people can live off of that wealth, in essence. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. The bureaucrats are... You have a very large criminal class in America, in the, in the bureaucrats. They have these, uh, they travel, they lie, and they say they have to go first class when the uh, uh, economy is fine. And it, they found out that 60% of the State Department first class travel was unauthorized and illegitimate. There's constant stealing going on by everyone involved. And the reason is that everyone is lax and no one overlooks what's happening. The... Uh, the alternative minimum tax, which is very complicated, 155 millionaires paid no federal tax back about 30 years ago. So they started the alternative minimum tax, and now, last year, 17 million Americans would have to pay it, but they put in a patch. It cost $70 billion to put it in a patch because this thing crept up on us, and it it's it's increases your income tax when you're... When your income is not increased, yeah. it's just a method of, of a crooked method of raising money, which is the whole system of the IRS. When I was a young man, Harry Truman had a $600 exemption for everybody. Well, that $600, meaning first 600 you paid no tax per person, is now 8,400 through inflation. But if you go look at your IRS form, all you get is 3,650. So they stole in $5,000 in exemptions for each American, which means that the average family of five, a four, a four, is paying $5,000 more in taxes than they're supposed to. Washington is a criminal enterprise that lies, and they know that the average person can keep up with them because it's very complicated, and they're, they're, they're connivers, and they bleed the public, and the public doesn't know what to do about it. That's why the Tea Party is so good, because they, they don't have a complicated social agenda. All they say is, 
lower the taxes, lower the budget, stop spending money like a madman. But I think you're going to see the uh, ruling elite uh, try to trash the Tea Party if they can, because they're going to try to make them. I mean, they'll, they'll take a guy like Ron Paul. Uh, I didn't see Chris Matthews, uh, Chris Matthews' uh, thing he did the other day on television, but I understand it was basically trying to make these people look like racist or something, you know. And, and I know they're not. I know, I know people in the Tea Party movement. I know Ron Paul very well. He's the furthest thing from a racist. But the tricks of the trade, and, and you know, Martin, I would like to ask you a little bit: to what extent is corporate America tied into this too? I don't think it's just government. It seems to me that we have sort of a fascist enterprise here, where corporations are in bed with, in certain cases, corporations are in bed with the government in a, you know, in sort of a symbiotic well, mutual relationship, mutually oh, beneficial, way, party, parasitic relationship. Naples. Do you have any comments on that? Sure. I was in Naples, Florida this winter on vacation, and they asked me to speak before the Tea Party in Naples, and they expected 25 or 30 people. We got 275 people. I was supposed to speak for a half hour with questions, and it ended up two and a half hours. And, and these people are perfectly nice people. They're well-educated. They, they, as a matter of fact, their income is much higher than the average American. And they, uh, they're patriots. They don't have any political knowledge, or, but they want to have a decent government because the way we're going now, we're going the way of Greece. And, uh, and it would be an absolute shame because the greatest country in the world is becoming the most inefficient and the stupidest country in the world. I'll give you an example. The Constitution says the Tenth Amendment, oh, on corporations, corporations get $60 billion a year in special aid from the federal government, and they're all clued into the government, getting, getting their hunk of it. They like illegal immigration because it provides cheap labor, and when the Republicans are in power, they push, push for illegal for that, and the Democrats in power, they push for illegal in order to get the votes later on when there's an amnesty, as there always is, eventually. And so basically there's nobody looking out for the American people. Mm-hmm. Corporations are liars. The Democratic Party are traitors. The Republican Party is stupid. We have two parties, one subversive, the Democratic Party, and the other, uh, the Republican Party, the stupid party. And uh, so that we're hoping that the Tea Party can straighten things out. But if not, this country is going down the drain. And we have a president who uh, he had a fellow student at Occidental College. Uh, who uh, recently wrote something for Newsmax.com and said he wasn't a socialist at Occidental. He was a communist. He used to deliver speeches on Marxist-Leninism to anybody who would listen. He praised the Soviet Union, insulted the United States, and uh, now he's modified. He's only a socialist, apparently. But basically, this is a man you cannot trust. In foreign affairs, he stopped our uh, our, uh, our defense against uh, Iranian uh, Iranian nukes in Czechoslovakia and in, in, in Poland, and he has no interest. Now they're going to put homosexuality into the armed forces. I, I, I'm an army veteran, three years, and uh, if we had homosexuality in the armed forces at the time, I would have, I don't know, I just would have run because it's, a, it's, a, it's like creating a male whorehouse, and, uh, and they think it's perfectly fine. America have lost their way, and the federal government under both parties, has been a stimulus for the, uh, for the dissolution of the strength and intelligence of the American body. And I must tell you that I'm not even a conservative. I was a national leader of the Democratic Party. I ran the Stevenson movement in, in New York. I was John Kennedy's floor manager for vice president at the convention. And I was a leading Democrat, and then I, I was a good Democrat until 1972, when George McGovern, known to me to be a communist, 
became the nominee for the Democratic Party and said the way to handle the Soviet Union is to cut our defense budget by 30%. Want to cut out nuclear subs, air wings, etc. And so the Democratic Party now is the traitorous party. They're subversive. And, uh, and yet they're running the country. So basically, uh, maybe Obama is good because he woke up the average middle-class American to the fact that the government cannot be trusted. Yeah, I've had some other people opine that as well, to say that Obama is so radical, so far to the left, that, that perhaps he's going to wake up uh, people, and, and maybe that's part of the Tea Party movement. Certainly, there are, uh, there are a lot of people very, very alarmed about it. But, you know, Martin, I'm not totally surprised about the direction of things, because we know that some of the intellectuals that have been part of the uh, the British-American establishment, for example, the Fabian Socialists, uh, of which Tony Blair was a member, the Fabian Socialists never had any disagreement with the Communist Party. Party. It was only the means of getting there. The Fabians always wanted to do it sort of slowly through an in, through a, an educational process. And the Democratic Party today should be called the Socialist Party of America. Well, I agree with you. And in fact, there's a, a lady that ran for local government here. I was in her involved with her campaign a number of years ago. She was running for New York City government, and uh, you know, she uh, on the Democratic Party. And she says, you know, Jay, I, I go to these meetings with the Democrats, and I hear them talking, and it's just like. Uh, the, it's just like what I heard back in my home country in Poland. She was a Polish immigrant. And she said, it's just like I heard the communists talking in Poland. So I think we've got labels, you know. What is really communist a lot of times goes as socialist. But let's, you know, let's just let's call well, it let a spade a spade. Uh, you're either a free market advocate or you're something else. And, you know, and then it's either a matter of whether you want government and corporations to dominate or whether you want to have government dominating everything. And, and even in a communist system, you know, the people that are in the party get treated quite well compared to everyone else. So, well, of course. anyway. Uh, the Democratic Party is the great disappointment because the first Democrats, Franklin Roosevelt, JFK, Harry Truman in particular, Harry Truman was a great president, he kept the, all of the uh, costs of government, federal, state, and local, down to 22%. Yeah. 41%. He cut one quarter of the World War II debt and at the same time balanced the budget every one of the seven years that he was in. Eisenhower okay. also balanced the budget and cut some of the World War II debt. Yes, I know that Harry Truman is your is your hero as presidents go. I remember that from the first time we talked. Uh, I'd like you to talk more about that, but we only have four minutes to go. And what I want to do now, Martin, with the time we have left, is to go to, you know, those uh, a solution. You mentioned the Tea Party, but it's going to take resolve. People are going to have to be willing to cut. But you have $600 billion worth of cuts you think can be made. Would you care to talk about that in the remaining time we have left? Surely. Go ahead. Go ahead and start right now, right? Yeah. Number one, duplications. There's 1,000 duplicate programs in America. All you have to do is use a computer, list all the programs, get rid of duplication, and you end up saving $30 billion in 10 minutes. There are 10 different agencies promoting exports. There are 13 different agencies on drug abuse. For young people, 70 altogether on drugs. Not one, but 70. Then you have... A juvenile, then you have a teenage pregnancy, 29 different programs, and all of these are done by congressmen who want to get their name in the newspaper. And then the programs keep doing the same thing over and over again, uh, inefficiently. Now, in addition, uh, we have uh, too many federal employees. We have 2.1 million. We need about 1.5 million. And we can get rid of uh, half a million very simply through attrition 
because 7% retire or don't come back each year. By not rehiring 5% of them, only keeping 2%, we will get rid of 20% of the federal employees, and we save about $30 billion doing that. And then in addition to that, right now the uh, uh, the costs are too high. We spend $120,000 per employee plus overhead. And when Mr. Clinton came into office, immediately he raised this, the salary of uh, all uh, Washington employees by 21%. 19% he raised in New York and 30% in a portion of California. So the typical federal employee now makes 71000 plus benefits or 120000 versus 41000 for salary in private industry. So it used to be only security that you got now you get a heavy salary and heavy benefits and it's a it's a it's a uh, top heavy ridiculous and often criminal activity then there are 50 independent agencies we can close 25 tomorrow nobody would know the difference the maritime administration small business export import bank overseas private investment corporation App- appalachian regional commission federal railroad administration these organizations are dated to do absolutely nothing of value and then you've got the AmeriCorps. They say that these are volunteers. It costs us $40,000 for each one of the so-called volunteers. Rural utilities, market access programs. There are 25 programs you can close tomorrow, and no one would know that, 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 that they're gone because they don't provide any decent activity. Mm-hmm. I close uh, from 15 cabinet agencies. I cut it to 12, and they're more efficient and, and, and better. Now, the, um, we have 10,000 uh, offices for the Department of Agriculture. We need about 1,000. There's one office, the Department of Agriculture, has only 15 farmers. And it's all it's a ridiculous thing because the Department of Agriculture was at, built at a time when America was farmers. Now we have one million farmers, and we have about half a million employees. The whole thing is absolutely ludicrous. We have to close that. Then, of course, we need the Department of Welfare, computerized. We save at least three to $400 billion a year. We have to close HUD. HUD is the place where they have these apartments for uh, that cost $2,000, and uh, these are private apartments, and the government pays three-quarters of the rent, and so that you don't have to work anymore. You just go to the government, you get that. Earned income tax credit gives back the FICA taxes to people who supposedly are poor, but you can make up to $42,000 and still get it. And the IRS says that the returns that come in to show that you're making less than 42000 they say 25% are fraudulent, costing $13 billion a year. And I say 50% or 60% are, uh, are fraudulent because people take advantage of the fact that the government doesn't do any investigation or any checking. Mm-hmm. Then we need a National Inspector General's Office named by the president, reporting to the president and to Congress. That has nothing to do with the agencies where they, uh, where they, uh, they close their eyes because they don't want to aggravate the boss. Yeah, well, Martin, we, we would like to go on and on. You have so many things to talk about. We're, we're really out of time. We only have a few more seconds left. But I'd like to tell people that they should pick up the book, National Suicide, buy it uh, on, online, or you can buy it at the bookstores. And in the last chapter, the very things that Martin's talking about, the remedies, uh, are there. And you can read that. And, and there's just an awful lot of stuff here that in this book, a lot of things you need to be aware of. If you care about America, if you care about our future, then you have to care about this. Forget desperate housewives. Forget, you know, forget even the soccer games right now. The, the, you know, think about your future and your kids' future. This is really important stuff. If you're a, a caring American citizen, you have to care about it. Martin, we really are out of time. Thank you so much again. Thank you. And is there a website where people can, can no, track your work? No, the best place to buy it is Amazon because it's on sale, and uh, they, they, they're very efficient. And by the way, you've got to hear this. 
The No Child Left Behind program, Department of Education, which educates not a single American child, costs $24 billion a year, and it's been going for 10 years, and so far, zero results. And so Just another, another of many rackets, Martin. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. Uh, we'll look to talk to you again sometime in the future. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away, because coming up next is Kim Harris. She is the president of Midlands Minerals. Uh, she, this is a Jay's watch list company. Uh, Midland Minerals is also a recommendation in my newsletter. We're going to ask Kim about the progress of her company uh, and its operation in Ghana, uh, in Ghana, West Africa. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Ms. Harris. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X Gold. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploration the system, which is open at depth. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Gold Fields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard, uh, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm with Kim Harris. She's the president of Midlands Minerals. Kim had been with us before, uh, and uh, just should mention to our listeners that Midlands trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol MEX. It trades uh, on the over-the-counter market in the U.S. under MDLXF. Approximately 104 million shares outstanding. The company has a 43101 uh, gold resource of 400,000 ounces. Uh, that should be increasing sometime uh, in the not too distant future. We're going to get to that in just a minute as we talk to uh, to Kim. Uh, I recommended this stock uh, to my subscribers back on October 9th at about 20 cents. Uh, it's currently trading in the 17 to 19 cent range. At that time, though, there were only 53 million shares out. There's now twice as many shares out. So the enterprise value has gone up about 70 percent since then. Uh, and um, so the stock is, is uh, you know, not hasn't gone anywhere. But the but the total value of the company has gone as uh, uh, as the uh, as Midlands has moved its project forward uh, in various ways. So uh, Kim, welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you very much. For having me. It's uh, really good to have you. I'd like to just ask you now uh, if you could perhaps provide a bit of an update or let's say an overview for the, uh, for the new listeners to this show. We have probably twice as many listeners to the show as we had the first time we had you on. So maybe if you could just tell people uh, about your flagship property in Ghana, West Africa. Just talk a little bit about the project, how many ounces, how many, you know, what your vision for the future is with that, with that uh, project. Midlands Minerals is focused on gold primarily, and we are looking at Ghana as our priority country. We're also in Tanzania with gold and diamond properties in Tanzania, but we're not going to talk about those today. Ghana is, uh, is the priority. Sian and Praso are the two projects that, that sit on the Ashanti Belt that we're concentrating most of our effort on. I would say about 80% of our geological effort as well as the resources that we have. The reason we're in Ghana is because it's a very, very stable uh, country. If you're looking for gold in Africa, it's the best country to be in at this stage. It is uh, the second largest gold producer to South Africa. 
And uh, Tanzania, where we also have properties, is the third largest producer of gold in Africa. Ghana has a very long history. The laws there are friendly. We feel very secure with our properties there. Our licenses are very secure, and they are in, uh, they're sitting on very good geology. We're also encouraged by the, the, the amount of investment going into Ghana by large companies like Newmont and Redback. They're putting just, well, Newmont has put in billions in, into Ghana in the last little while in building their mine at Ahafo, which has now got 21 million ounces, and their mine at Achim, which has 10 million ounces. The interesting thing about those Newmont properties is that we are 30 kilometers away from Achim, the one with the 10 million ounces, and it appears as if some of the structures uh, are, are joined up based on the, uh, the airborne that we've just done. We're just working on the interpretation of that. If that happens to be the uh, the reality, then then I think that's a really uh, lucky find for us. Ahafo, on the other hand, has very similar signatures to what we have on Sian and Praso. It's got these granitoids uh, in the uh, in the structure that they have there, which is what we have at Sian uh, Praso. So we're looking at Ahafo with 21 million ounces and thinking, well, if we have a similar signature, we should have the potential on Sian Praso for more than the one million that we're initially targeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 400,000 ounces right now on Cyan, and we've been dr- we've been drilling since uh, February. The target uh, goal there right now is to reach a million ounces within this current drilling program that we have. Now, this is a 20,000-meter drilling program. We are about 30% into that drilling, which is roughly about 6,000 meters we've done so far. So we're quite confident that we can find an additional 600,000 ounces to add to the 400,000 that we have now to meet the initial target of a million ounces. Now, the million ounces, as I say, is just an initial target. We see the potential on Cian Praso as being much, much beyond that. All right. Uh, and if you've, you're drilling 20,000 meters in the current program, have you released any results yet? Yes, we have. Uh, the, actually, the first four holes that we drilled came out really nicely because they were spaced about 50 meters apart, which gives us a, a basically a measured uh, category from that drilling because it's infill drilling. So we're drilling between our old former holes. So at 50 meter spacing, that's pretty tight, and the numbers are reliable. Mm-hmm. And the, we just put out a press release uh, about two weeks ago that indicated that the grades are continuous, and they're continuous at depth as well. This is something we found out in the drilling program that we conducted in 2008, that in fact our grades are getting better the deeper we go. There's some kind of dilation happening. So the 400,000 ounces that we have now, that's based on drilling down to 120 meters. Below 120 is giving us higher grades and wider width, and that appears to be confirmed by the results that we published two weeks ago. And uh, we're just waiting for more results from SGS, and if that confirms that, then we're quite positive that we can reach that million ounces. What we would like to do is is to get to the million with the 400,000 that we have now and the additional 600,000 that we, we hope to find. Uh, we would like to do all that and calculate an open pitable resource with a depth, a vertical depth of 120 meters. But we know that if we go below that, it will be very easy to add to the million ounces because the results are telling us that below below 120 level, the, the, we're getting much higher grades. 
Okay, Kim, now if you were to go to uh, below 120 meters, would that still be open pitable, or would you have to think about an underground mine? Well, we can open pit up to 200 meters. Oh, you can? Okay. Yes, so we're getting the wider width around 150, 170 meters, Uh and and, and some really nice grades are coming up there. So that's why we're confident that once we reach a million, to add to it is is not going to be a, a problem at all. We can do the same thing that Barrick did. Uh, when they took over Bullion Hulu from uh, a small uh, junior called Sutton Resources. Uh-huh. And Sutton at the time thought that they had 3.5, about 3.5 million ounces in uh, indicated in third category, uh, but they were sitting in Archean geology, which is one of Barrick's uh, you know, areas of expertise. And when Barrick took over that property, all they did was drill deeper holes in the same place, and within months, that resource became 5.8 million ounces, then it went up to 10 million, and you know today they're sitting around 14, 15 million. So we know that the uh, to add to what you have, you know, comes with drilling at depth. So the strategy we're using now is, is similar to what the big companies use. Uh, uh, Kim, if you could give our listeners some sense of the 20,000 meters that you're drilling. Uh, how much of that is infill drilling and how much is step-out drilling? That would be one question because uh, people that listen to this show, some of them may not be that familiar with uh, with gold mining and, and exploration. And so what you're trying to do when you do infill drilling a lot of times is, is to comply with the 43101 requirements so you can add ounces that way. So my question is how much of that increase in 600,000 ounces do you expect to come from infill drilling and how much from step-out drilling? And then after that, I'd like you to tell me, uh, give our listeners some sense of how beyond that uh, million-ounce uh, t- target potential, uh, a long strike, how much is open in, in you know, a long strike? If you could give a sense of the size of the structure that you're looking at ultimately. Well, the, the 20,000 meters that we have now were designed as an infill program and because we thought that was the quickest way to get to the million ounces. So we're going to dedicate more, almost all of that, that meterage to just infilling previous holes. Then we've just completed a VTEM, which is an airborne uh, magnetic survey, uh-huh. and that is now um, just being interpreted. The results of that are being compiled. And so it's really a two-pronged uh, program that we have. The current 20,000 meters is focusing on infill to get us to that million-plus ounces as quickly as possible and within the 43101 uh, context. Uh, the step-out part of it will come when we start to, to drill the targets that are coming out of the airborne survey. So with the airborne survey, what we're doing is taking the geology we're taking all the geochemistry. We've covered now Ocean and Prasso with uh, soils, very, very tight grids. So the results are coming out looking very, very good, um, very promising results. And then, uh, so we take the geology, we put the geochemistry on top of the geology, then we put the geophysics, the airborne results, on top of all of that. That then gives us some very specific drill targets, and that will then be our step-out program. Okay, so your so your geophysical uh, results will give us an idea of what the size of the target is here, ultimately. Well, the geochemistry has already told us that it, we've got about a 16-kilometer strike length. Wow. And where we're working right now is less than 
of that target. Okay, so that's that's what I wanted to, our listeners to have a sense of what the upside potential could be, and we underscore the word could because nobody knows until the truth machine goes down and pulls the samples out. Kim, I think when you get to a million ounces, you're talking about you your company may make a production decision. Is that right? When we reach a million ounces, it's a lot easier to, to make that decision, and what we have to recognize is the mining part of it requires a totally different team, different skill sets, and yep. a, different, a, a different mentality altogether than the exploration. So the plan that we have is when we reach a million ounces, um, then we look at the mill that we have. We've already done a scoping study on the, on the, on the, the plant that we have there, the property, Cian, is fully finite, fully uh, permitted, uh-huh. and um, we've got a 30-year mining lease on it. All the infrastructure is in place, but the mill needs to be uh, recommissioned. So we've had a scoping study done on the mill, and we know how much it would take to get it back up and running. We're looking at about six months in terms of time. We're looking around 10 million in terms of money. Now, the, the financing for, for recommissioning the plant would be project financing. We don't need to dilute the shareholders with that. There, there, are, about, there, there are a couple of banks uh, in South Africa that are already positioning themselves to, to, to get involved and provide the financing. And um, so, so that decision then, the idea would be to, to get the plant recommissioned and finance it through, uh, through project financing, and at the same time, that processing the um, the two million we've got two million tons of low grade ore that was left over by the previous owner. Okay. So that is what we'd be looking at as you know get a new a different team in place to. Okay, Kim. I guess they're telling us we're running out of time here. Um, I, I, how can people keep up with with your uh, with your company? What's your website? The website is uh, midlandsminerals.com. It's a, it's, it's a good place to go for information because we keep it very, uh, very up-to-date. And uh, other than that, they can also call us directly, and uh, we can answer their questions at any time. And I might add that they, they could also uh, subscribe to my newsletter because I do cover your company, and I can see it's time for an update in my newsletter as well, Kim. Uh, I'm sorry we're out of time right now, but thank you so much for coming on. We'll have you back again sometime soon. Uh, and I'll try to pass along any important information to our listeners along the way as well before that time. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. Coming up next, we've got Mark Weaver of Jay's Watchlist and Roger Wiegan uh, to close out today's shows. Actually, Roger is going to comment on the chart of Midlands Minerals and another company on Jay's Watchlist, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Mark Weaver and Roger Wiegan. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike 
Pacific River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm here uh, to wrap up today's show with Roger Wiegand and Mark Weaver. And Mark, I'd like to turn to you first. Just a quick, uh, a quick commentary, if you would, just please, very quickly, on Midlands Minerals. Uh, and then I'd like Roger to talk about the chart. Uh, Mark, I just uh, sort of summarize Midlands Minerals. We just listened to Kim Harris talk about the company, but if you could just overview uh, on Midlands Minerals and then Roger on the chart. Uh, thanks, Jay. Well, we're very excited about, about the, uh, the news coming out of Midlands Minerals, particularly on the length of the strike zone and the commitment to joint venture, their diamond property in, in Tanzania. Stock price currently around 17 cents, and you would follow that by looking at the at the at ticker symbol MEX on the, on on the Toronto Exchange. Okay, Roger, you've taken a look at Midland's chart. What are your thoughts? What's well, a good entry uh, entry point and a and a possible exit point for shorter term traders? Let's say people that want to get in and out of a stock within a year. Okay, we 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 pulled the chart this morning, and the last price we got was 18 cents. Uh, the price is supported near 20 cents right now. People should think about a, a top of between 45 and 50 cents. I think that if people want to enter this, this particular stock, uh, even at the price at the market today, they would be pretty safe because uh, we're looking at a major support right at around 18 to 20. If they can buy it at 20 cents, uh, I would think that they could probably get a double this year. All right, and longer term, then, we see that the ultimate high was somewhere around 55 and 60 cents, somewhere in that range. That's correct. So I guess a longer term, if the stock could push through that, it would be very bullish, potentially. Well, it depends on mining stocks this year, how they, how they perform and break away from the others, and I think they're going to, and it would not surprise me on some good news from the company, if, in fact, they can produce that later on this year, uh, we could go to 45, 50, and perhaps even higher. Okay, let's go on to North American Gem, Mark. Uh, what are your thoughts on North American Gem? This is a coal producer with properties in Kentucky, I believe. Yes, it is. We're, I, again, we're very bullish on, on this particular company, trading in around a 14.5 cents. The ticker symbol is NAG on the, on the TSX. What, what's exciting here is you're going to see production multiply by six 
over the next couple of months as the next two permitted mines come online and, and begin production. And I think you should also mention that they are producing what is called a very high-quality, high-margin blue gem, uh, uh, blue, uh, what is the name of it, Mark? It's, it's, uh, it's a very high-quality coal that brings a very high, uh, high value to it. Is it? Absolutely. You know, over, the, over the next two years, they expect to, you know, to be producing about approximately a million tons a year, uh, 40% of which would be this high-quality blue gem coal, which is used in silicon and glass and, and, and that sort of thing. Okay, Roger, what about the charts for North American Gem? I'm looking at the long chart. It's got a cup and handle, which is very bullish. It took three shots from a dime at 20 cents. It, it, it's prodding at 20 cents three times. Came back a little bit. It's at 14 and a half, 15 cents right now. Uh, I would say support is 10. Uh, where people want to get in, they can either go in the market right now without a stop. I can't see it's going to come back more than a few cents. From the high side, we're looking at 20 resistance, and then uh, later on, probably 40 cents. Okay. Uh, that's good. Thank you, Roger. I should mention to our listeners that uh, both of these companies are clients of Jay's Watchlist, and Jay's Watchlist does receive fees uh, for these co- from these companies. So keep that in mind. Realize that we may not be totally unbiased. I think Roger comes at it from a very unbiased point of view. He doesn't have an interest in either of these companies, and he's strictly giving you what he sees on the charts. So we, we, we want to add that objectivity. We always try to be objective in our, in our remarks, but, you know, we're all human beings. And we have vested interests, so we're just trying to be as honest uh, and as forthright as we can be. We've only got about a minute left. Roger, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on this equity market right now? If you can just quickly give us a sense of where do you think, are we near the top uh, on this equity market? And are, are we going to go down hard and soon? And then if you have a minute, uh, uh, 30 seconds or so, to talk about the gold market and gold shares, what are your thoughts on both those markets, if you would, well, please? Well, uh, uh, for the time being, uh, first one, the uh, equity market. Jay, I think we're we've been pushing near a top. It's been extended. I think there's a few more days left. We've got probably this week, and and as we get into the end of the month, I think that's going to be the top. You got a holiday coming up, so uh, I would be extremely careful or use stops or be out uh, at by the end of June. And how does gold look on the on the charts now? We don't have time. Is, just to yeah, put I comment thought on gold that. was going to stop, Jay, but it's getting more powerful all the time. We're now looking at a new high of. 13 and a quarter, 13.75. It's on the edge of a massive breakout. Okay, thank you very much, folks. That's all the time we've got uh, for this week. Uh, we hope you'll come back with us next week. Uh, next week, our special guest is Kathy Fetke. She's a licensed realtor and a frequent comment- commentator on the housing market. She's extremely bearish on the housing market. She thinks we haven't seen the bottom yet, so come back next week to listen to Kathy Fetke. We'll also have some other guests with us. Again, thank you to my uh, senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, uh, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is in-